Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Hey, let's talk about freedom. And I just, you know, looking ahead to this week, and I've had several weeks to do that, just kind of, okay, God, what, I mean, the time that we live in, I mean, you can't miss the time that we live in and the importance and significance of freedom and being reminded of what it's really about. And so I, I've done things in the past looking at the Declaration of Independence. I love reading that document. I, I'm a big history guy anyways. I, looking at the Constitution, and it's so, so many things are happening around all that today. I get all that, but I, but I really felt that God was directing me in a, in a different place. So just talk to you today about, you know, where freedom really comes from. And, and my, I have lots of titles and my title changes every five minutes and I'm frustrating, I know, to my guys that are probably put titles on stuff, but I, I, I titled the message today, Tomorrow Belongs to God. And, you know, whatever we're facing and experiencing today and we're talking about our freedoms and our freedoms are supposed to position us for a great future and things of that sort. And I just want to encourage you today that freedom in God is important for you and I will talk about it, but your tomorrow belongs to God. And so it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around about you. For those that are in Christ, as you choose to serve him or receive him, then your tomorrow belongs to God. And so that we can have rest in that. And then I also thought, maybe I should call it this, freedom, real freedom comes from the inside out. And really, honestly, it probably our greatest challenge is when we try and legislate freedom or try and put rules and laws for freedoms from the outside in. It never seems to really, you just got to keep doing more and more and more and more. But God set it up that real freedom comes from the inside out. And uh, I want to share a little bit about that today as well. And so um, turn to Matthew 6.25 because this passage right here, or part of this chapter, is one that you're probably familiar with if you've been around church. And I see it as really, one, what we're all striving for. When I think of the, the, the freedoms that we want and desire, it's the pursuit of happiness, right? The, the declaration says that, joy. That things that we need for life to live life to the full, to live life uh, of blessing, if you will. Um, maybe it would be happiness or joy, but nonetheless, I believe Matthew 6, 25 through 34 speaks to that. It's what we want in freedom. It's what we want with our freedoms. And so I wanna, I wanna look at this passage of scripture and then I wanna really look at how this really happens for you and I. So let me start reading in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And, you who do, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I'll tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seeks first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. A couple of things obviously stand on there. It's really talking about worry, and really it's not worry an enemy to our freedom. Because if you have worry and anxiety about something, you're not really free to enjoy that. And this passage of Scripture talks about all the things that we pursue and, and, for our freedom. We pursue those things. So the enemy to our freedom is worry. So the enemy comes to try and do things that cause us to worry and not experience freedom to the full. And the scripture says, 
seek first. The key to walking in the freedom that God always intended for you and I is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, seek first the culture and plan of God, God's way of living, and the righteousness of God, which comes from the assurity inside you that through Jesus Christ, you can have a relationship with the Holy God. So no more guilt, no more shame, no more bondage to sin. So he's talking about the way to the greatest freedom as he intends for you and I is to live life as he intended according to his word or his way and to experience a freedom that can only come from Jesus Christ. So he says there's a greater freedom for you and I and it comes from the inside out. And he says the enemy to our freedoms is worry, meaning that, again, the enemy will come and try and create things along the lines of what was just mentioned in that passage, these things that we need, because isn't that what we worry about? How are we going to walk in that? How are we going to experience that? Are we going to benefit from that? Are we going to have the freedom of that? Now, what's interesting to me is in this passage of Scripture, when you're talking about really freedom for you and I to the full is living for God's kingdom and in his righteousness, not the kingdom of this world. We are here, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, and we are submitted to earthly authority. And I I was thinking about this earlier. If we're, let me say it this way, the better citizen of heaven we are, the better citizen of the United States we are. So it's not like rebellion. We're not talking about like rebellion and rising up against you know, the government and all that. We're talking about submitted to the greater authority and the kingdom of God and living as a godly citizen and walking in the righteousness and the freedom that comes for someone who has been set free from sin can live. And we know that to be loving and serving. Amen? So what's interesting to me in this passage of scripture, however, is if you'll look up a few more scriptures back, Matthew 6, 9, and I didn't put this in your notes, Matthew 6, 9 through 14 is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we could probably all quote that. He teaches how to pray a few scriptures before he talks about the key to freedom, kingdom and righteousness. So it's interesting to me that before you can experience real freedom in God, living his way, experiencing his righteousness, you have to be a person of prayer. Before you're a person of the kingdom, before you're a person of righteousness where our true freedom comes from, all these things will be added unto you, you have to be a person of prayer. Now, why is that significant? Because I believe being a person of prayer combats worry. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Well, how do I get, get around my worry or how do I overcome my worry? Rather, prayer. And so I'm going to tie those things together to you today, and I want to, again, emphasize that real freedom comes from the inside out. And let me say it this way, if I could, based on Matthew 6, 9 through 14, and then Matthew 6, 24 through 35, prayer precedes freedom. So therefore, the more you pray, the more you'll experience the freedom God intended because the more you'll be able to connect with his kingdom and his righteousness, because the more you'll be able to stand against the worry that tries to distract you and pull you into that. So I wanna say that today because we really wanna look at where real freedom comes from. It comes from the inside out. And again, the challenge in our world today is trying to create freedoms from the outside in. And I wanna just encourage you that God has a a way, amen? Amen. And so let's take a look real quick at Galatians 5.1. Can we put that up? Here you go. Okay, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then 
And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Here we go, talking about his righteousness. Stand firm in the freedom that you have in Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin or a slave to worry. So stand in that place in the righteousness. And how do you do that? You do that through prayer and other things. And then it goes on to say this in the next passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we don't have a righteousness in and of ourselves. It comes from Christ. So when we have a relationship with Jesus and we submit to his lordship, then we walk in that righteousness in a greater measure. And that is a place of freedom. Righteousness is freedom. Amen. The kingdom of God is freedom, amen? Where he comes to try and distract you, we'll talk at the end of the service about that, pull you out of that, but if we can stay focused, and we can do that through prayer. Prayer precedes freedom. Okay, I wanted to set you up for that, give you that to get ready for what we wanna talk about today. So I wanna encourage you that in that passage, Matthew 6, 19, 14, as Jesus was teaching his disciples, and again, we could probably all quote that prayer. As he's teaching his disciples how to pray, it's really not, it's an outline for prayer. It's not a prayer to pray. It's an outline for prayer. Really, what really mattered more to the disciples was what they saw in Jesus, not what he taught them verbally. And we all know that to be true, right? I mean, what you show me with your life is gonna speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. And, and, and if you're wondering what that's like, just, do you have little kids you know what that's like, right? Like, you threaten them to act, per, you know, right? It's like, where are they? I don't know where they got that little temper tantrum from. Oh, exactly, you know where that comes from. Why they say the attitudes, right? We, 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 we model what's in front of us. Pastor Joe did a great job talking about that last week. So we model what's in front of us too. And so let me say this, what they're looking at when they're asking this question before he responds in Matthew 6, 9 through 14 about the prayer, teach us to pray they were not only getting an outline on how to pray, but they were watching his life. And I believe at some point in time, they were trying to figure out not how Jesus prayed, but how did he get the results he got? <clears throat> because all of a sudden, Jesus disappears for a little while, and then he comes back, and then later he walks on water. All of a sudden, Jesus disappears off to a solitary place, and he comes back, and he's in the middle of a boat asleep in a storm. It calms the storm. All of a sudden, Jesus disappears, and he's off to pray, and he comes back, and he heals the sick, or he raises the dead. And so they had to be sitting there thinking, okay, I got you on this outline. You bet. Thank you you for that, by the way. But how do you do that? How, How does that prayer that you go on pray, how does that result in you living your life this way? Because really what they're saying now, what they're, what I believe they're saying now is, how do you walk in this freedom where you're not bound by anything. You're not bound by natural circumstances, right? Storms and all that. You're not bound by the chaos that that happens not just outside of us, but inside of us. How how do you do that? And that's what I wanna know. How do you, in other words, how do you experience Jesus, the greatest freedom without limits? You're not bound by anything that happens on the earth. The chaos, the tragedy, the disappointment, and They saw it every time he went to pray, and the result was absolute freedom. Freedom is preceded by prayer. And so as Jesus shows and models this for us, he shows us that prayer is not to inform God, but to invite God. See, let's understand that, because 
he, said, he, he scolded the Pharisees or the religious leaders in their prayer because we want to get a formula prayer and then just pray that and not live it. Or, so he wants to say, it's not the eloquence of words or the long, fancy prayers that you pray. You know, it's that passionate prayer that you just, help! <laughs> Where are you? I need you. Come here. Or inviting, the invitation. So prayer is not to inform God, it's to invite God. I mean, we inform God when he already knows. He's like, yeah, I know. I know. We already read that he knew what you have need of even before you did. So it's an invitation. Prayer is not extending information, but invitation. You don't inform him, but you invite him. You invite him into your marriage, you invite him into your family, you invite him into your finances, your business, you invite him into your life to experience the freedom that comes from being a person of prayer. So God is invited to our life in every situation, health and protection and provision, and we invite him in to, we invite his word in, in the midst of our worry, so we can live better, we can live free. And so he teaches, the, he teaches about the kingdom of heaven, and he teaches his disciples about a lot of things, and so he says the kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of heaven is like this, and so again, they are, they're going back to this place of, okay, I get all that, but how do you go from that solitary place to this place that you don't seem to have boundaries by circumstances. You have the ability to live free. And I wanna give you some of those. Prayer gives, prayer gives us this freedom and, and I'm gonna give you five things. Number one, peace in the storm. Peace in the storm. And can I tell you, it's a stormy time. I mean, we, we need a little rain, right? We prayed last week and had like one day we should have prayed for the, like the whole week, God. I mean, more specific, can we get the whole week of rain? Peace in the storm. Jesus is found in the midst of a huge storm. The disciples are in panic. The boat is filling up with water. They're afraid they're gonna sink. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. How did he do that? Because he was a person of prayer. Which you would say, that's right, when I pray, I fall asleep. That's just kind of the way it is. I don't know about you, but you're tired at night, you can't sleep, pray. <laughs> right, you go to sleep. Sometimes when we pray, just when I prayed for the Mexico, some of you fell asleep, right? Right then, no, I'm just kidding. Peace in the storm is a result of your communion with God. So there are storms that happen in life, the chaos of life, that you can have peace in the midst of those things, but it's preceded by prayer. In other words, <clears throat> you don't have to react to the chaos of the crowd. You can have the freedom to have peace in the midst of the storm despite how everybody else is responding or reacting. The Bible says that we can have peace in the midst of the storm. But when you've been talking to God, before the storm, you can have peace in the storm. See, Jesus didn't wake up all of a sudden and say, hey, let's pray before we do anything else. Let's pray. He was a person, had a lifestyle of prayer, and it translated then to an experience of freedom in the midst of a storm. And that comes from consistent prayer. Let me say it this way. That comes from a consistent prayer life, not a church prayer life. That means the other six days of the week, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Not just a Sunday, I'm getting my prayer in on Sunday. No, you gotta get it in every single day because prayer precedes freedom. Do you wanna walk in freedom every single day? Because you just might be experiencing a storm every single day of your life, but your prayer precedes your freedom, therefore your prayer precedes the peace and the storm. That comes from a consistent life. The benefits of prayer are evident. Benefits of prayer are evident in how you react to a storm. Are you gonna react like the crowd? Or are you gonna react in calm? Because prayer positions you to have peace in the storm. It determines how far you go. You gotta keep calm in a crisis. 
And let me say it this way, prayer helps keep discipline over our emotions. So we talked about worry coming in, distractions coming in. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, which tries to distract you or to keep you away from experiencing the fullness of his kingdom and his righteousness, which is the ultimate freedom. So prayer combats worry. So our worry is reflected in our emotional disciplines. <laughs> I mean, you're right, and however, however a storm lands on you in a way that you respond with an emotional response. And I, I want to say this. Prayer helps keep discipline over your emotions. <clears throat> so let me say this. People who say whatever they want to say, whenever they want to say it, have no discipline. <laughs> Can I say it this way and you still love me when I'm done? That means they have no prayer life. Because if we understand what prayer does in our life, it gives us peace in the storm or discipline over our emotions. And they talk to people when they ought to talk to God. Peace in the midst of your storm, freedom in the midst of a storm, if we can say it that way because the context of the message today is preceded by prayer. If you start talking to God, it'll change how you talk to people. Number two, prayer, prayer brings deliverance for others. In other words, freedom for others. Isn't that one of the ultimate expressions of our freedom? We leverage our freedom, the Bible says, not so we can indulge ourselves or indulge our sin, our own pleasures, but so we can help somebody else become free. So deliverance from others. So he comes down, there's a story where he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went up and he met with uh, Moses and Elijah, I believe, and he had two of his disciples with them and they experienced, or three of them experienced that moment with God. Well, down on the bottom of the hill there was... Uh, a gathering there, his disciples were there. There was a, a dad who had a son that had epilepsy. The Bible speaks of epilepsy or seizures. He would throw himself in the fire and then he would throw himself in the water in which I would say, number one, thank God that the fire didn't burn him and kill him and the water didn't drown him. I'm, I'd say that, you know, thankfully for that. So he brought his kid to the disciples. The disciples prayed for him and it did not find freedom. The boy did not have find freedom for that which had control over his life until Jesus came down. Jesus was up in prayer on the mountaintop. He came down to the, bo the bottom and he says, what's going on here? Dad explains, the disciples explains, and Jesus prays for the young man and the, the controlling spirit leaves him and everybody celebrates and the disciples pull Jesus aside and say, hey, how did you do that and how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus looked at him and said, well, these come out only by prayer and fasting. And I wanna encourage you, prayer precedes freedom. So even in your prayer time, even as you are a prayer, you have the opportunity, you have the ability at times to help somebody else find freedom from what's controlling them. And so it's important not only for your freedom, but understand the principle here, prayer precedes freedom. It'll also enable you to help somebody else walk free. And in fact, the Bible says right here, Jesus says, that might be the only way. Your spiritual discipline of prayer and fasting, but prayer might be the only way that you're able to help others walk free of what's trying to control them. You need to be a person of prayer so you can understand the situation and respond accordingly and help somebody else find freedom from that which is trying to control them or overwhelm them in their life. Number three, prayer brings submission to the process. And I almost use the word embrace the process because I thought, well, submission, that's a hard word. I thought, well, that's the right word. So we went, I went back to submission to the process. And let me explain it to you. Prayer helps you be submitted to the work and plan of God. Because submission's different than embracing. You can embrace it and not act on it, in a sense. Oh, I believe it, I love it, and never do anything about it. But submission means I am gonna walk it out in obedience. I'm gonna be submitted to the plan of God. 
Now, that's important because prayer helps position you there because, you know, God's plan is not always your plan. <laughs> you know, sometimes our prayers are trying to get God on board with our plan, right? It's like, come on, God, this is really a good idea. I don't know if you've thought it through like I have, but he's like, no, I got it. How many of you guys know you like to negotiate with God, right? I'm that, I'm that way. But we all know as well we need to submit to God's plan that's already blessed and sort of try to get him on board with our plan and bless it. Prayer helps us be submitted to God's plan, process. He teaches us when it gets hard, you need to submit in the process because God's plan is not always the easy plan. And if you've walked with God for any length of time, you know that. God's plan... Sometimes it's a very, very hard, difficult plan. But you need to stick to it. Can I say it that way? Stick to it. Stick to the plan. Stick to God's way. God's way is the better way. His way is higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. We need to be a person of prayer. It helps us submit to the process because our flesh doesn't always want to do what God wants to do. So understand, when Jesus took his disciples up to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's before he was taken illegally and then illegally tried, rather, and then he was crucified, the Bible says he was in the garden in prayer. He tried to get the disciples to pray with him, but they kept falling asleep, right? Remember that sleep in the prayer thing? And so he scolded them. Couldn't you just stay awake? He was, he was responding out of his intention, emotional struggle. The Bible says when he was praying, he was sweating great drops of blood. You know why, the rest, why he was doing that? There was a wrestling there from a submission to his plan or God's plan. Now, how I know that? Because the Bible says, Jesus said, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, And then he finished by saying, but nonetheless, not my will, but your will. So I think sometimes we forget, overlook, how significant the prayer in the garden was because we get focused on the cross, and rightly so. The most important thing is the cross. But you know what? The cross was possible because of the prayer in the garden. Because in the garden, through the prayer, the grace came to face the cross. And so... Victory may have been won in prayer in the garden by submission to the plan of God. And here's what we know about a cross. A cross is designed to kill the flesh physically. And here's what we know also. Submitting to God's plan is designed to kill your flesh, your plan, your want to be in then. Your flesh has to be killed. Your, your plan, your intent has to be killed sometimes, if we can say it that way, so you can submit to God's plan which is a greater way. But prayer helps position you for submission to the plan of God. See, it was never the prayer in the garden, rather it was the prayer in the garden that gave grace to face the cross, and the cross is where he demonstrated the power of the garden or the power of prayer. Can can I say it that way? Was the cross where he demonstrated the power of prayer? Because it was his prayer that helped bring him back into submission to God's plan, to kill his own flesh, if you will to be able to surrender to what God had for him. And we're all glad that he did, amen? Uh, Number four, let me give you this one. Prayer gives you the freedom of guilt and sin. Freedom from guilt and sin. Now there's a story in the Bible, and for time's sake, I'm not bringing you back to these stories or references there, but you can look them up, of a man who was paralyzed. And Jesus was having some meetings, so his friends are like, hey, let's carry him to the meetings. Jesus has been healing people, Let's see if he'll get prayed for and healed. And so they carried him on a mat, four guys carrying the corners of the mat. They got to the meeting. The meeting was packed out. There was standing room only. They couldn't get in the door, the Bible says. So instead of giving up, thankfully these are good friends, instead of giving up, they climbed on top of the, obviously not friends with the homeowner. They climbed up on top of the roof, 
cut a hole in it, right? And lowered him down before Jesus as Jesus was just full room and there was one little space and they lowered him right at the feet of Jesus. And so Jesus looks at the, the man and says, son, your sins have been forgiven. Interesting, it's not, that's great, but that's not why I'm here. I'm like, where's this not the healing line? Maybe I got in the salvation line. I'm, I'm not sure. I, hey, way to go, guys. Thank you for lowering me through the roof, but you put me in the wrong line. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, which is interesting to me. He addressed something other than the obvious need. And then the religious rulers there that were listening said to themselves, and Jesus, the Bible says, heard what they were saying in their hearts, like, who does he think he is to forgive sin? So Jesus responds to them, even though they didn't say that out loud. What's that? Being around Jesus would be a little scary, I gotta tell you, right? It's like, only think good thoughts, only think good thoughts. And, uh, and so he says, he, says, he says to them, I know what you're thinking in your heart. And I'd be pointing to the other guy. No, I'm good, That's, it was him. And he says, who gives me the authority? How do I have the authority to forgive sin? And would it be easier for me to say, take up your bed and walk, than say, you're forgiven of your sin? And what I think Jesus was, and so Jesus said, just so you'll know, I have the authority, take up your bed and walk. To that guy saying, thank you for arguing with Jesus. He just healed me, right? It's like, to prove a point. It's like Jesus proved a point. But you know, the point I believe Jesus was proving is he was more concerned about their spiritual and emotional well-being than their physical well-being. And so that prayer Jesus prayed helped them get spiritually clean and emotionally clean and spiritually well and emotionally well before he got physically well. Emphasizing what's most important to you and I. Because then what does it do to heal the man and let him be physically well and yet spiritually and emotionally broken. So the prayer Jesus prayed was to help get him spiritually clean and physically well. And I think that's so amazing because for you and I and so many of us, we walk around physically clean and spiritually emotionally dirty. So Jesus is emphasizing his time of prayer the freedom that came to that young man, it came first with his spiritual freedom, his emotional freedom, forgiveness of sin, and then came his physical freedom, his physical well-being. And I think it's important for you and I because it doesn't matter if we can take up our bed and walk if we're still broken and dirty on the inside. And Jesus is emphasizing that here in this moment that prayer helped release us from guilt and sin, gave us freedom of over guilt and sin. Jesus prayed to have a clean spirit and a clean heart first. Prayer will clean your heart. Prayer will clean your spirit. Come on, prayer will clean your heart. Prayer will clean your spirit. You can take up your bed and walk when you get rid of your guilt. You can walk free. You can take up your bed and walk free when you get rid of your shame. Prayer will clean your heart. Prayer will clean your spirit. And the last point here, prayer is your secret weapon. I don't know if you know, I think some of us are walking around unarmed. And we're in a fight, by the way. You gotta bring a weapon to the fight. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're strong for the demolishing, pulling out of strongholds to the divine power. Prayer's your secret weapon. Jesus says when you pray, don't do it out in the streets in front of everybody like you're drawing attention to yourself, like the Pharisees would make a big deal and draw attention to themselves. Go to your place of prayer and pray. Matthew 6, 5 through 6 says this. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love the pray standing in the in the synagogues, in the squares, and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their full reward. That's all you're gonna get is a pat on the back. Good job. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who is 
who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If you wanna be a public success, you gotta be a private prayer. If you want public freedom, you gotta be a private prayer. Prayer precedes freedom. What happens on the outside is determined by what you do on the inside. Freedom comes from the inside out. What happens on your feet is determined by what happens on your knees. You need to be a person of prayer. So shut your door and pray. Shut your mouth and pray. (laughs) Sorry. Um, It's your neighbor. Shut your TV and pray. Shut your Netflix, your Hulu, your Crackle, your Amazon, whatever, and pray. Shut your social media and pray. Shut your Fox News and CNN and pray. Get on our knees and pray. Prayer is our secret weapon. We need a real prayer life. We're living in a time right now that if the church doesn't get back on its knees, you think it's bad now. And we need to experience the freedom that comes through prayer. The real, there's a real enemy to fight. And the enemy's trying to take over. Is an enemy trying to take over your marriage? Is an enemy trying to take over your family? Enemy trying to take over our relationships? Enemies trying to take over government, streets, economy. Enemies trying to take over churches. But God said, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. A restored land comes from prayer. Freedom comes from prayer. Prayer precedes freedom. We need to activate prayer. And I want to say this, prayer is not about church care. It's about self-care. Prayer will tip the scales in your favor. Your son, your daughter needs to see you pray. Your house needs to be a house of prayer. Jesus said, do not worry over and over and over because worry hinders your prayers. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow belongs to God. I'm gonna close with this passage, 1 Corinthians 19, one through four. Here's a story, prophet Elijah. He'd been battling the prophets of Baal. He had a showdown with them. God brought fire from heaven and burned up his offering. Their gods did not to bring up theirs. And so 450 prophets were killed in this showdown. Now we pick up the story. Now Ahab told Jezebel, the king and queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, may the gods deal with me severely if by this time tomorrow you're not dead. I'm gonna kill you in 24 hours. I'm gonna kill you tomorrow. Elijah was afraid. Elijah, who just stood up, Elijah never backs down. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush or juniper tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And to all those that would say this morning, I have had enough, I would say, don't give up. This tomorrow belongs to God. See, here's what happened with Jezebel. She sent a messenger to threaten Elijah, remember? And it made Elijah worry about his tomorrow. Worry about his 24 hours. Worry's gonna happen tomorrow. Hey, I'm sending a messenger to you. I'm gonna kill you tomorrow. I'm gonna threaten you tomorrow. And I wanna say today, there's enemies out there everywhere trying to threaten your tomorrow, but your tomorrow belongs to God. Your tomorrow does not belong to this world system. 
Your tomorrow belongs to God. What is threatening you? What is trying to kill your faith? What's trying to kill your confidence? What's trying to kill your marriage, your family? What's trying to kill your joy, your peace? What's trying to kill your finances? What's trying to kill your freedom? What's trying to kill your prayer? Elijah was so worried that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Jezebel threatened Elijah's tomorrow to cause Elijah to worry. What's causing you to worry about tomorrow? Is it the economy, maybe? Is it the pandemic? Is, 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 it, is it gas prices? Is it all these kind of things? Is it what, what Elijah found out about us tomorrow was that it didn't belong to Jezebel. But we need to remember, our tomorrow does not belong, belong to this world. Our tomorrow does not belong to this world's system. Our tomorrow does not belong to our government, our economy, inflation. Our, our, our tomorrow does not belong to strife and division. I'm here to tell you that tomorrow belongs to God. For who the Son has set free is free indeed. Their tomorrow belongs to God. His kingdom, His righteousness. It doesn't belong to pandemics or politics. It doesn't belong to inflation or recession. It doesn't belong to Republicans or Democrats. It doesn't belong to conservatives or liberals. It doesn't belong to white, black, or brown. It belongs to God. Your tomorrows belong to God. Got to be a person of prayer. Prayer precedes freedom. Your tomorrow belongs to God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My heart, my hope today, on this day that we celebrate freedom, is to find what true freedom really is. Because we can still be free in the midst of all the challenges that we're facing today. But it comes from God and God alone. It comes from what Jesus did as we just described on the cross. Because he prayed a prayer in a garden that gave him grace to face the cross. And he went there for you. He who knew no sin was the ultimate sacrifice to pay for your sin so you could walk in freedom. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.